Mike, I'm pumped to be doing this podcast right now. Thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Hell yes. What is something right now? I know you're a serial entrepreneur. You've done a ton of things in real estate, in fact, service businesses, manufacturing businesses. What would you say is kind of a, a relatively recent and or new, and you can interpret that however you'd like, whether that's like a week, that's this morning and just read some article and it blew your mind or something really that's on like a longer time scale, a recent obsession or just deep, passionate new interest. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got to be my newest business venture that I'm focusing on because it kind of ties and comes back from everything I've been doing since I started entrepreneurialism in 2013. Um, and that is standing up my outsourcing business, right? I think I've talked to both of you guys offline about this and why I'm so passionate about it. Um, I have built, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking about the businesses and the real estate that I've done. I've, I've built all of those on the foundation of using outsource help. It lets you scale, brings you high quality talent, helps you save costs. Um, and I just had such an enjoyment doing that because you're, you're helping yourself and you're helping others now. And so that's why I've started this business. So that I could take that passion to help other entrepreneurs grow and scale. So I'm sure we'll get into that, but it's been a focus point. Uh, it's been a lot of research, a lot of learning, um, and it's a lot of fun. People are the product, and I love dealing with people. So, you know, talking to entrepreneurs like you guys every day, uh, talking with cool talents in you know different countries, um, working with my business partner, we're having a lot of fun. Yeah, I think uh, to just jump straight into the VA world, I think a lot of people probably got their first intro to VAs via the Four Hour Work Week. You know, five or, or maybe ten years yeah. ago, they read the book, they found out that this thing exists. They can buy their wife flowers. They can offload a lot of their um, a lot of their personal responsibilities you know, they bought it and then it kind of flopped or they, they bought it. They, they didn't know where to go. They didn't know who to, to, who to pay. Uh, they didn't have the right system in place to, to train them to do the things they wanted to do. But that market has uh, materially matured over time. And so how is, why is now the right time for any business owner or person listening to this podcast to jump in and acquire some talent? And yeah. what are some best, best practices there? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's interesting. The four hour work week was a book I read in 2014. And it's what started, you know, the whole entrepreneur yeah. kick. I, I think it's fascinating. Like any book, you have to take it, you know, with a grain of salt because you can get down some crazy rabbit holes if you, if you try and follow it, uh, you know, point by point. You know, now is an interesting time in, in the economy and the, in the global market, right? Um, we just got off the, COVID, right? COVID's been this thing that's wildly disrupted our entire you know, education system and, and working world and, and the way that we operate. And what I think we've seen a lot that COVID forced was this remote workforce that's taking place, right? And so what, what does that mean? Well, technology has had to catch up. I'm not talking about super complicated technology. I'm talking about like what you and I are doing here on, on a Zoom meeting where we're in different parts of the country and we're face-to-face as if we're in the same room. So the connectivity and the um, acceptability of being remote has increased drastically. And so what does that mean, right? Typically, people have looked at um, outsource help in kind of two ways. It's either those really scrappy folks like Ferris who went and figured out a way to do this and architect their lifestyle in such a way where they can leverage VAs. It's not that easy. It's somewhat of a black box. And you have large corporations, right? AT&T, Verizon, JP Morgan who have, you know, seven-figure paychecks that can pay these guys to go out and run these big shops. Well, the world is kind of in the middle now where outsource help is available to 
small, medium-sized business owners, solo entrepreneurs, right? Uh, it, it's accessible, albeit still confusing. Um, in our workforce now, a lot of, I got to be careful how I say this, but a lot of the kids coming out of school these days don't have the work ethic, like perhaps some of the older generations that we've seen. Um, a lot of boomers are retiring out of the workforce. A lot of people are demanding to be remote. Um, so when you factor all those things together in conjunction with Zoom, and then you even talk about more complicated uh, technology like artificial intelligence, it makes more sense to have a global workforce where you can go and find someone that is just as quality, if not more, than person local um, for 30, 30 cents on the dollar, right? So the connectivity makes it make sense. And you know, things to look for, right? You just got to be really diligent. You're hiring someone to work with your organization. So you got to make sure that you really understand how to train, onboard. You have to make sure you understand your culture. It's just like hiring someone stateside. Um, it's no different. Um, I think the last thing I'll say is people always put this big bucket of VA on outsourced health. Well, just like in the US, you have assistants, but you also have operations managers, accounts receivable, accounts payable. There's all these different things that you do. So this bucket of VA is, is overused. You know, think more operational support, back office operations. Um, and, you know, if you can think that way and really kind of cater what you're looking for, uh, you'll have a lot more success. Yeah, my mind is racing right now. Uh, so many different ideas and ways we could take this conversation. It's, it's so fun. One thing, Kyle, and I say, I think I mentioned this to you as well offline when we first chatted, was we always like to start the podcast with one planned question. And yeah. then just like feel like there's just, you said so much that just immediately catch, like captures and inspire so many different thoughts and line of questions that I'm like, all right, whatever outline I prepared, I might as well just crumble that up. Really <laughs> I, just I love don't it. Need it, it come on it, right? It's I like just, it a there's lot. There's just a million directions I could go just with what you said there. I think one question that's really concrete that I'd like to know, what was the first role, right? Operations could be a lot of things. It could be, yeah. you know, you're just, to think you're back. filling out a spreadsheet and then you're like, I don't want to fill out the spreadsheet anymore. What if I don't have to do that? Or what there is, I'm answering the phone and maybe I don't have, like, what was the first job function, a slash ongoing uh, set of tasks that you're like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. And it was 100%. like, and the first successful one as well, in case yeah, they're the same answer. Fortunately, they were. Um, we've had some that aren't successful, just like any hire, but fortunately, our first one was successful. And this was a personal one, right? So this kind of jumping back on how I got into this, uh, I'm a real estate guy by nature. Um, started off by buying small mid-size multis. You know, duplexes, house flipping, and all of that. Um, we quickly parlayed that into self-managing our portfolio, as well as doing third-party managed for other clients who are real estate, right? And for anyone out there who knows just the intricacies of owning and managing real estate, specifically what I would say mid-sized multis, which kind of fall in this awkward middle ground between the really big guys and the, the single-family homes, there's a lot to do. So you've got work order constantly going out, leasing constantly happening, tenants constantly calling. And there was just a lot, right? A lot of things to do. And the hardest thing to handle is the maintenance aspect of it. So that was the very first thing that we offered. Uh, we have a call center where people can call in and do their maintenance requests. And they kind of happen at all hours of the night. And it, it takes a lot of coordination. So the very first role that we placed was someone who would take inbound work orders, not be a call, but after the call center, dispatch it to our management company. Uh, and they would coordinate with the tenant who placed the work order along with the vendor to make sure that everything was triaged, dispatched, bills were paid to the the guy doing the work and all that. So huge, huge weight off my shoulder because that's hands down, at least in my opinion, the hardest part about, uh, you know, managing properties. And that's what's going to set you up for success. How well you can handle that field services aspect. Uh, I want to ask about 
the period of time between college and, and I guess, 2013, 2014, 2015, when you kind of started yeah. into this uh, entrepreneurial uh, drive, I guess, uh, before you started buying real estate, you were doing consulting, right? Yep. I uh, graduated from the University of Georgia in 2011. So go dogs, big uh, UGA football fan. A good time to be doing that as well. And uh, I went to a company <laughs> called Cat Gemini. Uh, it's IT consulting, right? Um, it's kind of the job that everyone wants to get when they graduate from school. And you know, you're, you're traveling around the different parts of the country, Monday through Thursday, staying in cool hotels. And it was cool, but it lost its allure for me after a couple of years, right? Traveling around. I couldn't imagine like, you know, how do people do this with families? I went and I worked for a company called Ernst & Young. Uh, we're doing consulting there as well. And after like nine months, I didn't last long there at all. Like, I was like, this isn't working. So I went and tried to find a small company. So I worked for a small 15-person real estate consultancy. And I realized I didn't like that either. And so yeah, at that point, I realized it was a me issue. And I needed to kind of get into um, doing my own thing. And real estate was the path for that. Right. Uh, so that's kind of the period of time that Lewis and I are in. Lewis is a little bit ahead of me. Uh, can you talk a little bit about being patient during that period and, and, yeah. uh, preparing yourself for, either, right? right, exactly. And, and being successful in that environment. And funny enough, one of my buddies from Alabama actually works at Cap Gemini in Atlanta. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and don't hear me wrong. Like it is a phenomenal place to go. And, and I think that cutting your teeth at a place like that actually teaches you a tremendous amount about how to be a successful entrepreneur or business person, right? Because you talk to your buddy from Alabama, right? They throw you, they throw you into the water right away. You are going on client sites. You're in the room with, you know, high level executives that are, you know, twice your age, if not more, uh, you're solving complicated problems. And, and so it's a great place. And, and I almost recommend everyone go out and do something like this before they go off and work on their own. You can, you can tell a certain level of professionalism from someone who has worked for someone else in a mm -hmm. corporate you know, setting. So Back to your point, you know, being patient is important and it shouldn't be this, uh, even if you want to get out, it shouldn't be this race to get out, right? Take your time, you know, uh, calculate the market, understand what you're getting yourself into because I'm a big believer that success breeds further success, right? So if you come out and let's say you decide that you wanted to quit your job and you have success in doing so and you have a nice path out, that will just lead to further success. I've seen people who have made the attempt of quitting their job, coming out, stumbling, and it set them back, right? Uh, they've got a sour taste in their mouth for being an entrepreneur. Um, they want to go back to the comfort of their W-2 job. And so I think patience is important. I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up, actually, because not a lot of people talk about that. People say, hey, just jump head first. And, and when you do decide to do it, jump head first all the way, right? You got to be all in. But be smart, be calculated, take your time, and then use your current environment to A, make money, and B, learn. So I think, uh, I think it's wise. Yeah, I think that really could cut across everything we could talk about in the sense, right? I was thinking about how my first couple of times hiring a virtual assistant were not incredibly successful yep. and letting that set me back in terms of now having way more hesitancy and throwing the baby out with the bathwater in many ways. I think that's something that happens to people if their first foray into something isn't a smash hit, right? If their first deal isn't profitable in real estate and their first time quitting a job to make it work for themselves is whatever. And they draw the improper conclusion, right? They're like, okay, Correct. therefore I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. Therefore I'm not cut out to be a real estate investor. Therefore I'm not cut out to be a manager. And it's just like, yeah. why do you and think you're going to get it right the first time in everything that you do? Like what the hell's wrong with you? And you're not. And I've had, 
I've had failures as well, right? And I'm fortunate that they are, were well into my career and they were small blips. But if those are the first things that happened to me as I, after I left my job, you better believe I'd be back at Cap Gemini or Ernst Young, you know, my tail between my legs. Um, so it's important. And, you know, Lewis, asking you, do you recall what set you up for failure with bringing those staff members on? Like, is there something that you can think about or, it, you know, was it a cultural thing? Was it the resource? Did you not have your requirements defined properly? Like what happened there? Not to turn the questions around. Uh, I mean, I'm happy to share. I think that's one of the most valuable parts of the show for people as well is to kind of see where myself and Kyle contribute and where we are in kind of our paths and how yeah. it relates to where our guests are. I could list like at least six things that are still not fully like figured out in terms of my ability to hire and things effectively, right? I think, you know, something that we hear often on the podcast, I think is a great kind of catches them for entrepreneurship is, you know, most business problems are personal problems. Yep. And I think that, you know, my time management. So for example, something you need to do when you hire someone is have a consistent ongoing set of work for that person to do to not keep them busy, but keep them engaged, right? Because yep. if they're like, what am I doing here? I don't have something to do. And if the work, you know, every two weeks, you just give them a, a blitz of work. And sometimes it takes them two days. Sometimes it's like, here's a month worth of work. And it's just not well-defined. So yep. like some level of personal disorder is not going to, uh, of unresolved personal disorder is not going to make me effective at hiring someone. Uh, unclear expectations, not knowing how to, first of all, what level of quality I should expect in terms of, you know, the, some people say a uh, successful delegation is someone doing something 80% as well as you, right? And so me maybe expecting 100% as well as me while also not expecting being the type of person who can write specific enough documentation to ever set someone up to do something 100% and just yeah. not having things well documented. And then as well, a lot of the difficulties of financing. So the podcast, especially then, and even to some extent to this day, is not the primary source of income for me. Yep. And so when I was hiring a virtual assistant to help with editing and funding that from personal resources, right, then you have a kind of inappropriate level of expectation. And this has to be flawless because I'm paying for this out of my own pocket. And it's kind of like placing an improper amount of stress just because you're just not, it's not a good business plan on paper either. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, all sorts of things that should have been thought through that weren't for sure. Yeah. And I think the thing that you said resonates most with me is that 80% thing, right? Yeah. Like you are running the business, uh, a, because it's your business, but you know, not everyone has what it takes to step up and, and be the leader and be the one there. And by the way, it's your vision that you're casting out. So in your mind, it all makes sense because it's exactly how you're thinking it through. Be the smartest person in the world, but when you communicate things outward, things get lost in translation and, and to expect someone to perform at the exact same level as you, uh, it's unrealistic. And if someone could be 80% of you, I'd say that's a phenomenal, right? Everyone that I had working for and with me could do 80% of what I was thinking. Not that, not that I'm smarter or better or whatever, but again, it's my vision that I'm casting out and I have my expectations. If they're meeting that 80% of the time, that's fantastic, right? But expect for a hundred. Yeah, you'll be setting yourself up for failure um, every time. So many things I want to talk about. Uh, but the one thing that I won't be able to get out of my mind until I ask it is about the Titan behind you, uh, yes. Rockefeller. Why him? I can I, see. I can't see that in my view. I'm glad you can see it. Um, so have you read the book Titan? Uh, not all of it. Probably half of it. Yeah, it's about, you know, it's about that thick. It's a so big it's guy for sure. It. Yeah, it's a big one. But. Once you get through the halfway point, it's kind of like downhill. So keep powering through. It's probably my favorite book I've ever read. Um, John Rockefeller is one of the most interesting 
uh, guys you'll ever read about in history, the things that he was doing in the time period with which he was doing it are phenomenal. You know, you hear the term vertical integration all the time, right? Where, you know, you own the entire supply chain of whatever that is that you're touching or doing. He took vertical integration to the next level, right? When he's drilling for oil, he owned the land, he owned the machinery, he obviously owned the oil. Yeah, then he started owning the railroads that were taking the oil places as well as the carts. He owned the candles that the oil went into, the wicks, the, you know, he owned everything um, to the point where they had to bust up Standard Oil because it was becoming this big monopoly. And so um, I just found him to be so fascinating and motivating, right? He was this hard charging guy, but still like, yeah, he took afternoon naps. I don't know, like, you know, everyone thinks you got to sit there and work 20 hours a day. And that guy took time for himself and doing personal activities and take naps every afternoon. Um, so if you read his story, it's fascinating. Um, from an entrepreneur, you kind of look up to what he's accomplished. And I got a buddy I went to high school with who's a phenomenal artist. And I actually had him commission this painting for me um, just to kind of look at and have as a reminder uh, every day that I'm sitting in my, my carriage house office uh, above the garage. So it's a good one. I love it. One thing I think about uh, when I think about that book is uh, it's a line, I guess, about his reverence for his initial ledger. Because he tracked all of his expenses, obviously by hand before computers. Um, yeah, and he like kept that book until he died, and like almost started crying when it, he like was given it later on. I thought that was uh, a really interesting point. Um, yeah, in that book, he, he was quirky. He was quirky and odd. For a lot sure. of quirks. Yeah, a lot of quirks. It, it's worth reading for anyone who's listening. If you're looking for a good read, get through get through the first hundred pages, and then you'll uh, you won't be able to put it down. Okay, that's that's you're talking to me there. So yeah, I got to get okay, through the first yeah. hundred pages. Um, you'll get you'll get through. I wanted to ask about real estate in general and what your thoughts are on the market. Um, yeah. As as we sit here today, uh, you know, Lewis and I try to make evergreen content, but I think that um, it's a really interesting time in real estate in general. Um, obviously, interest rates have shot up. Transaction volume is down significantly. We've had a 12-year bull run and and multifamily specifically, as well as all the other asset classes. Um, what are your thoughts for the next? I mean, obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but right. um, what do you think from from where you sit? Are you still holding on to yeah. your multifamily assets? What's the the plan? No, I sold I sold a lot of it uh, as COVID was happening. I was one of those classic people who thought we were about to walk into a world of pain and and sold. And I don't, I don't kick myself too much because it's got, I mean, you're sitting, you're sitting in the same spot right now. Like you, you missed a 20% uh, upshot yeah. and then a 20% drawdown. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I wish I could have timed it a little better, but you can't, you can't time things perfectly. I think it's an interesting time with real estate right now. I mean, interest rates are like at a rate that like none of us have seen since uh, what early two thousands, I believe. Right. Um, late nineties even. And you know, it's, it's making things more challenging for the last 10 years, 15 years, even since the, the uh, housing crisis, it's been hard to miss. Right. So with, you know, let's talk about multifamily real estate, right? You go and you buy a value add property in 2015, you're a terrible operator. You don't know how to do it. You just sit on that thing for two years and you're going to be okay. Right. So I think it created this, the market created a lot of cowboys who thought that perhaps they were better operators than they were just because of natural economic forces. Right. Um, rents were rising, you know, for the most part, costs and labor and things like that weren't overly expensive. Um, and prices were appreciating. Interest rates were historically low. So it was hard to miss. 
now that interest rates are high, I still think there's a ton of real estate deals out there to be had, but it's for the guys who really know what they're doing. You got to be creative. You got to know, you know, proper financing. You've got to be well capitalized. You know, you don't want to be putting 80% debt on a, a multifamily property. Like, you know, we got some of that. We got a 32 unit complex in 2015 with 80% down from a, from BB&T, right? Like you won't find that right now and nor should you, um, it, it wouldn't be wise. So I think in the next year or so, you're going to see a lot of people, you're starting to see it now. And Kyle, this kind of gets into your world. Like people are starting to get hurt because these balloon payments are coming, you know, they're on a variable rate and they don't have the cash to, to make the capital call. So I'll be curious to see what happens in the next six to 12 months. I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities out there. Um, so for those people who feel the need to jump into real estate, like right, right now. And by the way, I, I feel like I see that in real estate a lot. I feel like everyone wants to be an investor and they're doing whatever they can to invest as soon as possible. So kind of getting back to the whole comment of patience, I think now is the time to be patient, right? Whether you're ready to go pull the trigger right now or not, if you're looking at it strictly from an investment perspective, be patient because I think there's going to be some opportunities coming up. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but then you look at things like primary housing, right? Um, you know, the area where I live in Florida, houses don't, can't stay in the market, right? Because the supply is just so, so down. And so builders are throwing things up left and right, kind of calling their price. It's cooled down a little bit, um, but you're still seeing things uh, fly off the shelves um, from a residential perspective around here. Um, so it's interesting. I, I don't know. It's confusing. There's a lot, there are a lot of factors to take in. Uh, I'm curious, Kyle, what you're seeing. Are you, are you seeing similar things? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll echo pretty much everything that you said. Um, it's when you look at a chart of cap rates over the last 10 years, it, it was just you could be a blind bat throwing darts behind right. your back and and and, right. and win. Um, obviously, you had to throw the darts. There's some kudos to be given to people that uh, actually executed deals during that time and, and made a bunch of money, um, which is fair game. Good for them. Yeah. But I think, you know, like Warren Buffett says, the tide goes out you see who's wearing pants and who's not and i think um you know people who started in 2011 and raised billions and billions and billions of dollars like uh this most recent couple of years we're seeing them without pants on um right and so you know when um w when you raise a bunch of money to buy a multifamily deal and a part of your underwriting is a cash out refi and you're three Right. And then year three happens and you're not hitting your debt service coverage, your interest rates through the roof because you had a variable rate on it. Your cap just expired. And now you, it's yeah. a it's a cash in refi and you go to a bunch That's of investors right. who are also um, invested in other properties with your handout and they don't want to do the deal. So they have to sell. And I think up to this point, there have been a lot of um, alternatives, including companies like Spectra Capital. Um, who can come in and kind of save the day for these people, but you can only pass the hat for so long before some of this stuff starts hitting the market. And when things start hitting the market at these depressed prices, that's when that's the moment that you're talking about, about being patient and waiting for. Um, exactly. And so I think that that's in the future. Again, no crystal ball. It, it could just not happen. Um, but I'll be excited to, to see it when it does. And hopefully we'll be, crushing some deals at that point so right. yeah it, it's uh, worth sitting back and waiting a little bit right like there's a long runway right waiting 6 12 18 months is not gonna be the end of the world but again if you find a good deal and you're a disciplined investor and you know what you're doing close it you know make it happen and it's funny we talked a little bit about the power of podcasting i don't know if that was before we started recording or not but 
you were just talking about that 32 unit deal that you got, uh, and you said that was 10 years ago, but for me, it was like an hour ago. Cause I was listening to the, the bigger pockets podcast uh, you, where you were walking through that deal. And so yeah, blast from the past, just back to the, the evergreen nature of, of podcasting and, and this kind of content in general. It's funny that that podcast has introduced me to a lot of people. That was uh, it was a cool time and a fun, exciting time, uh, in the real estate market. So, uh, that was a cool deal. Yeah. A little bit younger, no, no gray in the beard or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> Maybe a little more hair uh, on top, but, uh, I, I remember those days fondly. What else do you do to kind of meet interesting people strategically? I, I just love chat with people, right? Um, I just joined a group. Uh, have you guys heard of GoBundance? Lots of overlap with the bigger pockets world. Lots of overlap with bigger pockets world. Real estate's kind of the the foundation of the group. And I mean, when I say I just joined, I'm I'm two or three weeks into this, right? Oh, okay. um, but it, it's a it's a men's only group, um, and there's a wives component of this too, right? Uh, but um, I believe there's close to a thousand people in the U.S. And there's certain requirements for getting getting in as far as being qualified. So it's cool because you're talking with people who are actually doing things. Um, and it's not just business, but it's business, it's personal life, it's health. Um, and while I'm, I'm so new into this, I'm already getting a ton of value out of it. So talk about meeting interesting people. Everyone in there has such a cool background. Again, there's always a little bit of a tie into real estate, um, in some way, shape or form. And what's cool is it's a form where you can actually talk about your wins and your losses and actually ask for help. Right. And, and people seek you for help. So that's one cool thing that I do. And then I, again, I just, anytime someone's like, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. Let's get a phone call, right? You know, well, let's grab lunch. Let's grab a beer. Um, I'm all about meeting people because you never know where it's going to lead you to. Um, and it's enjoyable. It's awesome. One thought that came in my mind during this podcast, right? Because we were, we've been time stamping a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like 2014, you're at 4-Hour Workweek. Yeah. And, you know, when the book was published in 2007, you're talking about how Tim was very much the guy in the wild west that's like figuring out how to hire VAs when it's not as nerfed as it is now. And like a company like yourself figures out all the most common parts and the pitfalls and prevents them from happening to you, right? You prevent the yep. people from pulling off the bike because you're like, here's exactly. how to not screw this up. Because yep. I, and you know, it's super figured out by now. And I, I think a lot about the book by Taylor Pearson, who we were fortunate enough to have on the podcast kind of early on, honestly, uh, called The End of Jobs. And that book was published mm. in 2016. Well, a lot of those books did quite well. Right. They're just people who are like, this is where the world is going. These are the macro trends, things that you're speaking to right now, right? The idea of hiring global talent, remote work on the rise, and kind of all of them having some degree of foresight and anticipation. It's like, this is going to be a really big thing. And these are the macro trends that like the early movers to take advantage of will see disproportionate wins yeah. and tons of opportunity that not everyone's seeing yet. Do you have anything along those lines that you think like the prophetic books are discussing in kind of the 2023 timeframe? It's a harder question. Yeah, and I'm going to ask clarifying question. Like, as far as jobs, I think I see outsourced or or going away or what? Can you clarify? Kind of just new. Labels. He's talking about more like meta trends, and I'll, I'll answer uh, meta trends that specifically. I think on the SMB, like oh, things yeah. clever SMBs are doing. Well, uh, that, yeah, or like I don't resource. Yeah, I don't want to bring this back to the outsourcing thing, but like it's it's such a big thing like that. And I think properly using artificial intelligence. We can kind of hit on both because I think they couple well together. Yeah. You know, the 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 talent that is out there globally is phenomenal, right? Oftentimes people think of outsourced as 
you know, a funny movie that they've seen or a call center where you can't quite understand the person on the other end of the line. And that's not what it is. I mean, we're talking college educated, sometimes second, like master degree type folks that have background doing exactly what you're doing within your organization. They just so happen to live in a country where, um, you know, work for American companies makes more sense at uh, that rate. And so I think small and medium sized businesses, once they realize that it's not a black box, whether they're able to be scrappy enough and figure it out themselves, it's, it's a little challenging. Um, or going through someone like us at Nexus Point, you're going to realize like just how powerful it is, right? Just how quickly you can scale, um, just how cost effective it is, and and the quality, right? And again, our objective, not to bring back to us, it's not necessarily to replace American jobs, right? It's to help entrepreneurs scale and grow quickly to a point where they can then bring on the American jobs. A young company doesn't have the ability to go pay someone sixty, seventy, a hundred thousand dollars a year. They can swing paying someone twenty five if they're really you know running the helping them run the show. So I think it helps get people to the next level. And I think you'll start to see more and more people pick up on it, especially with COVID and the technology. But yeah, and look at things like artificial intelligence. And yeah, I don't know where it's going because I'm you know I, I've had some coffee with some guys recently where they know AI really well and they're actually kind of like this should scare you guys. Um, and you know talking about like what are my kids going to do. Growing up, like, I don't know, right? Twenty years is going to be, you know, so you know, here before we know it. But at the same time, it's so far away. With with artificial intelligence, you look at things like blogging. You look at things like creating online courses. You look at things like uh, social media posts. Like, artificial intelligence can do that for you at an extremely rapid rate. So, how are people reaching people these days? They're reaching through blog posts, right? Like, uh, they're reaching through social media. That's what drives things like search engine optimization, like. It's dynamically changing business and people who are leaning into artificial intelligence to uh, fast track the content they're going out to market with, I think are ahead of the game. You then marry the two, right? You find someone who is remote, maybe running your social media market with a little bit of artificial intelligence and you know, you've got a really high caliber person um, that is creating you know, high quality content using the tools at a fraction of the cost. So you know, as a small business looking to grow scale and put your name on the map, I think those are two areas to explore. And the, 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 the language barrier that existed before the, one of the, the primary or, or really good point. the biggest, um, innovations that happened with chat GPT and, and kind of this recent AI revolution is the translation mechanics that exist on it. And so yep. all of a sudden the, the blog post that was, you know, very clearly not written in native English. It makes sense still, but it's not like perfect. It is now perfectly native and there's, there's oh, no discernible to say, rewrite this like a perfect native English speaker would. And it right. Out perfect. Well, and, and even taking a step further, um, I forget the company name for those few of them, but there are softwares out there where I could be speaking to you right now. And like in translation, it like softens my accent or puts a Southern twang on it or like wow. makes it sound Americanized. And just a real time modification. Yeah, and it's it's somewhat robotic still, so it's very obvious that it's modified. Maybe but not by the time we publish this podcast, you know, right. two, three weeks from now, we could be <laughs> five <laughs> weeks from now, six weeks from now, it's fixed. It's it's perfect six weeks from now, who knows? Exactly. That's the pace yeah. we're playing with, Can't, like yeah. genuinely. Right. Yeah, and it's 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 scary. And so it's, you know, you, you, you hear about these people all the time where they think someone is, call, like you know, a brother is calling in trouble and needs $10,000 or something, and it's like a deep fake, right? Like those <laughs> things I think are, you know, becoming more prevalent which it's just scary to think about but um you know i don't know what to do with that uh, other than just be aware um and then leverage it to your advantage and that's in, a, in positive ways of course 
One thought that I had to your earlier question, Lewis, about the the meta trends and like Tim Ferriss and these people from 10 years ago, I think that the next 10 years will be the things that have never changed. It'll be a lot about, it'll be like a reversion to kind of like biblical principles and like truths of um, like individual relationships will be very important, especially given how quickly everything is changing with something like AI. I think that there will be like a return to things that don't change. And and shout out Morgan Housel. I saw maybe that's the reason for this uh, comment is because today he uh, announced his new book about things staying the same. But I think that that is a meta trend in itself. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. Um, somewhat tangible, but related to that point, Kyle. A lot of people come to me and talk to me about some of these like blue collar type businesses that we touched on. I'll, you know, I'll talk to AI guys who know technology development, artificial intelligence really well. And they're almost like, how do I get into running a plumbing business or an HVAC business or something like that? Right. Like, you know, a, because they understand like the robotics aspect that they think it will be in there. And that, you know, that I think that's down the road a ways, but B they're viewing this as like a, people still need to cool and heat their houses. They need running water, they need plumbing. Right. And so as these more high tech jobs are outsourcing themselves by creating this enhanced technology, like they're, you know, how do I get into these more service-based dirty blue collar businesses? Um, then you're not seeing people go into those anymore, right? There's going to be a huge demand for trade school work. You know, people who can work on an old school car or, or you know, plumbing of a house or electrical, you know, a house. So it's interesting. Yeah. I'm going to piss off. I don't know any, any one actually going to piss off, but I feel like what a lot of people just don't, except is people just don't want to be subject to supply and demand when like yeah. you just are right. Sure. So whether it's the writers in Hollywood, I feel like that's like at the core of the whole strike that's going on right now. Right. They're just mad about supply and demand. It's like fewer people care about your stuff and that's why you're not making up much money. I feel like exactly. it's not more complicated than that. Or apparently there's some drama with the women's soccer team. And like that's an ongoing drama. And I right. see that as the fundamental same thing. I'm just like, Someone just, they, they taught them soccer, but they didn't teach them supply and demand. It's like you're paid less because there's less demand for what you do. And That's there's correct. no more to it than that. You, and, you look at a yeah. big sports star, right? And people complain about how much money they get to play a sport. Well, it's like, yeah, they're playing a sport, but you know, they're the reason that that stadium is full. They're the reason the hot dog vendors selling hot dogs, that the jerseys are selling, that Nikes are being bought and kids are wearing them, right? Like, yeah, if you think about the economic, you know, wake that they've created, they deserve to make $50 million a year. For exactly example, right um and it's like if you showed up to the combine and you beat their stats they're gonna right. let you on the field it's like yeah. but you're not you didn't do that you didn't you not get those skills exactly yeah so yeah so, it's interesting a lot of people who thought they were safe i think that's kind of the fundamental big yeah i mean that's the thing lewis it's, it's like new categories of people who thought they were untouchable by supply and demand or thought the supply and demand of what they do was pretty durable are now having that called into question and so american college students coming out of college and instead of having uh birmingham be their their talent pool that they're competing in it's a global talent pool and all of a sudden they have competitors who are better educated better at the job more uh internationally they didn't spend four years just partying and taking you know easy classes yeah and it's cheaper competitors finish school without chegg so yeah they actually know how to do stuff it's it's interesting. I mean, you just got to constantly be, you know, vigilant and on top of it and evolving and bettering yourself, right? If, if you're, I mean, look, it's not doom and gloom, right? As long as you're staying on top of things, you're not just sitting back on your hands. 
you're gonna be fine well the distribution of outcomes is more heavily weighted now so if you if you win you win bigger right and like that's right. <laughs> just win yeah. and then you'll just win big like <laughs> just win win, win big oh, easy right <laughs> start winning and you'll be winning yeah. yeah just win and do it big i like that i like that a lot uh, like one idea i had i wanted to mention this is kind of recent yeah. in my mind kind of the intersection to make it really specific. And maybe this is a bit too specific in terms of the intersection of AI and outsource ops. One thing that I've been kind of really thinking about and the paradigm, I think as well, that a lot of people haven't fully come to terms with is you have to have a new vocabulary for understanding like what artificial intelligence does, or it's even the most obvious vocabulary. But what it can do now is reason, think, read, whatever. So the limitation in many ways for how good the system can be is how good you are at documenting the details of your process. Yep. And so that's where the valuable intersection of what your business can do, right? If you're teaching people the ability to distill a job function into the abstractions of the types of decisions you need to make and how to make those decisions, the types of workflows that you need to, the types of workflows that you need to facilitate and how to, again, facilitate those workflows and the checklists and the if-then conditionals for facilitating those workflows. But what's interesting is that there's kind of like this point of efficiency where if you've described a job function of, a job function well enough into those documented points of if-thens, criteria, decision-making criteria to the point where it is foolproof and you literally just hand it to someone capable of reasoning, it's like, well, now the computer's capable of reasoning. Right. And then you no longer need the person. So like to the extent that you've actually operationalized what a person does in a particular role, that's actually a bar you had to meet to make the computer capable of doing that. Yeah, it's like, that's phenomenal. Yeah. One thing I've been exploring specifically is I think like flowcharts are a really valuable tool. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've heard, this is a new term for me, uh, BPNM or BPMN, Business Process Modeling Notation. Okay. It's just basically like flowcharts, there is a standard language for flowcharts. Yeah. Right. And I think this is going to become the standard where basically, I don't know if this exists or not. I, this is like one of those ideas I've had for seven days and it's a Google search away from answering whether or not this exists. But okay. if there's some interpretation layer that converts a flowchart into a prompt, then, then you're done. Right. So it's like, then you just do the best you possibly can to build a really robust flowchart to describe whatever decision, whether that's Again, a meta flow chart of like everything a job needs to do, or again, just a specific thing, like how to write a tweet or how to do X, Y, Z, how to handle this type of interaction. Then just press an export button that converts a flow chart into a prompt. And then you have an AI agent that knows how to do that exact. Yeah. And that's going to be crazy. And that's, I think, going to be a standard way of like seeing that work that's done. Yeah. And that's kind of happening with like things like website development and stuff right now, right? Like, you know pre-AI was getting like the Wix drag and drop type stuff. But um, I, again, this, the, the technology stuff can oftentimes be, you know, above my, my, uh, my small thinking. Um, but yeah, you're hearing about these website developers who are worried about the job because of exactly what you just said. I'm a guy who doesn't understand how to write code at all. Right. Like I can do some basic SQL queries and that's about it. But because of AI and using process flows and things like that, it's, it's learned enough for I can start creating these websites, right? And that's just a very basic example of it. But it's getting so intelligent that it's making someone more layman like me from a technology perspective, a technologist or a website developer or a coder. So yeah, I don't know where it goes or where it ends, but it's um, definitely a factor and it's definitely a force. And 
I think uh, those that are sticking their head in the sand with it, they better take it out and might as well, you know, adopt it with what they're doing and learn how to function with it and use it as an asset versus view it as a threat. Yeah, I think in many ways, the limitations are your ambition and creativity, right? Because now it's like the resources and the, the get it doneness is like the easiest part. So you right. could build an app in like two days just by persistently asking the chatbot to help you overcome the series of obstacles preventing you from knowing how to do it. What's my first right. step? Okay, this is your first step. Okay, I'm stuck. How do I yep. get past this? And just if you're patient and persistent and creative and can just ask the question, like, yep. what do I do next? This is what's happening. It's, you're done. It's, it's literacy, right? This is something I used to say on the podcast a long time ago. Like the only thing they need to teach you in school to some extent is literacy. Because once yep. you can read, then you can find how to guide for everything. Mm, right. So now it's just like, it's really just literacy and persistence. And just the pace is a lot higher because you don't have to know what book to find. You can just do semantic based retrieval of information, right? You can just search based on the meaning of what you're asking and not yeah. have to be use the right words or remember the name of authors or and anything actually referential. It's just like, can you copy paste? Like this is giving me this problem. Can you describe oh, yeah. it? And, well, then you're, I, you're done, and then you just keep going. I was in college from 2007 to 11, right? And I remember writing research papers back then and we had Google, right? But it wasn't anything like as robust as it is now. And even then in high school, I remember just like how hard it was to sometimes search and find what it was I was looking for to write a paper on. And now like, Hey, if I'm not using something, right. Yeah. If I'm not writing the having write the paper for me, like it's at my fingertips. Like I, I really half-ass Google search gets me exactly what I'm looking for. Um, it's fascinating, right? It's, it's interesting. Well, one thing that I thought about while doing, cause I went to college from 2018 to 2022 and, uh, my research papers no matter what I wanted to write about, I could find a source that argued either side in exactly yeah. the way that I was. So it's like I can write this paper, Google each sentence and have a source for each fact that I'm putting. But if that fact was the the opposite, I w could also find yeah. something that said that as well. And so yeah, that was that was my experience. That's well, that, that's interesting you bring that up. And this is going down a little bit of a rabbit hole these days. But with like, with technology as accessible as it is and things like social media, like everyone's an expert, right? If I could somehow figure out a way to go get a million followers on Instagram, I could be posting whatever I want. People will be taking it at face value, you know? So, you know, with that audience comes a little bit of responsibility because it is powerful, right? I could be, you know, just saying things completely wrong or inaccurate and, guarantees people out there who are you know consuming it as back yeah i think a lot of the upcoming modes like kyle is saying with biblical principles and like you're saying with like software engineers turned plumbers the so, some of the only modes that people feel like could remain reliable are relationships networks existing distribution right because mm -hmm. if the knowledge and the ability to build the app or to do the thing is just easier and easier and easier especially in all things digitally operated then it really comes down to, do you have existing customers that just like the convenience of being with the person that they're already with? Yep. And so I'm curious what you think, because I think a lot of the playbook that you could potentially build and maybe you are building, right, is like, I'm really good at quickly creating efficient digital ops and like low-hanging fruit that older, less effective operators don't know how to do, plus the like thing that wasn't even within their realm of conception of like international talent to do most of the basic functions. So how do you think about the kind of retiring baby boomer movement as a potential, right? Maybe we're all waiting on multifamily as a asset class because it doesn't have good macro environment around it. But maybe the business acquisition plus ops plus AI plus like digital marketing 
yeah, is that, one of the more interesting opportunity spaces right now? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of people who are talking about this retiring age of the baby boomers, right? They've got these small businesses that they've been running their entire life. And I'm going to kind of hone into that specific point that you made. Perfect. And, and they don't know what to do with it, right? Like, do they hand it down to their kid who has no interest in it, right? Do they let it die off? So uh, with a large portion of the boomers starting to you know, uh, retire out, I think from a business acquisition perspective, there's going to be a lot of opportunity out there. Um, again, I've used that whole retiring class of workers as a thesis for the, the starting of Nexus Point and the, the bringing global talent, because I think there's going to be a need to fill it. But I also think that there's going to be just a huge opportunity, just like there will be perhaps in multifamily, to find good opportunities in these businesses. Um, you know, should you be interested? And then, yes, you you come in and you add a, a fresh new spin on it, or you make it more efficient, whether it's through artificial intelligence or global workforce or a combination of both or other things, right? Um, you're also seeing this thing where a lot of these folks were kind of complacent, right? had their book of business. You know, they made sure that for everyone out, one new came in, it just kind of was what it was, right? The younger generation comes in, different ideas, different marketing strategies, different channels to reach people. Um, and there's the ability to kind of come in and accelerate the growth in that business. So I think for someone, you know, like, you know, like us that have, um, you know, an idea, like a technology idea, you know, or knowledge or background. And Lewis, I know that's a big thing for you. It's like, there's a lot of opportunity out there, right? Because you can go pour gas on some of these things i've actually got a buddy who does um he's phenomenal at search engine optimization like that is his business he does all things online marketing but he's great with seo and what he's finding is he's going into service-based businesses and he's able to start ranking really quickly really high and get inbound leads like that so he just spun up a pressure washing business and like he's got business going out the door every day just because he knew how to get the top people who are doing pressure washing don't always know how um, I'll use an example. When I moved to Florida, I had a hard time finding a pool cleaning company. I let him know I had this problem. And over the weekend, he got bored. He spun up a website that's half-baked, right? It still has the Ipsum Lorem stuff on there. But he's ranking number one for um, pool cleaning service in Rosemary Beach, Florida, right? And it's a very niche kind of whatever, but with, with very little effort. You don't need that had, many customers. I mean, he's got, he's got inbound leads coming in. He's done yeah. nothing with it. Because it's like the standard book of business for a pool cleaning business, like a hundred homes or something. Or yeah, no. yeah, perhaps. Right. Um, but I, I guess my point is that I'm maybe, uh, there's a lot of, uh, it, it's kind of molding the two, uh, between the blue collar business and the boomers retiring, right? Like they just don't have that level of sophistication on it, right? They're, they're leaving mailers in your, in your mailbox. Like you're not looking at that. You're throwing it away. Right. Um, so I think there's opportunity there. Yeah, I think that could be an excellent um, marketing engine for you is, is search fund people, people that are going out and buying these businesses from boomers. And then their whole plan is to uh, put it on digital rails, basically, and acquire global talent and make things cheaper. So that's one thing that I hadn't thought about at all. Um, but one thing with the portfolio potentially as well. Right. Yeah, there, there's a private equity aspect to that eventually, right? Um, when you really, really feel like you've got it honed in, with the, with the global town, which, which we do, right? But we're one thing at a time. There's a ton of businesses out there that could benefit from that specific um, component insert. If you insert some global talent, you automatically drop more to the bottom line. The business is running more efficiently, running better. Um, you hold it yourselves. And QAE exactly. goes up, then you can sell on a higher multiple than you bought for. That's exactly. Yeah. Um, That's exactly right. One thing I wanted to ask you about 
I, I watched this YouTube video maybe two months ago. I'm from Alabama, um, from, but from Birmingham. And so I would always spend time going down to the beach, uh, the Gulf Coast. Yep. And I know you re recently moved down there, but the video basically explained how many geological advantages that that area has and how relative to every other place on earth that has those same geological advantages, it is the lowest population per uh, huh. per like mile of anywhere on earth that has those same uh, characteristics, which are like freshwater, beach, uh, you know, blah, blah, you go down the list. But yeah. I thought that was extremely interesting. And so huh. after watching that, I'm now very bullish on the region in general. And I'm curious yeah. as to kind of your um, outlook. Was there a reason they moved down there other than obviously it being beautiful? Uh, is there anything under the hood? No, and I, that's an interesting stat. I, I, I'd have to think. I'll find the video that. and send it to on. you. Yeah, I'd be curious to see it. You know, one deterrent is it's, it's oppressively hot here in August. You know, it's like 95 degrees with a heat index of like 109 the other day. You walk outside, and you're just like instantly sweating. Um, but why we moved down, uh, my wife and I both have location flexibility. And so we would always go travel to a little strip called 30A, um, which is right you know, on the Gulf. And every time we would leave vacation back to Atlanta, I'm like, man, sucks we're leaving. You know, sucks that we're leaving. And so when COVID hit and things got even more remote, right? So I had flexibility with where I could be. My wife could work remote with her job. Then everyone else started adopting these same kind of remote tendencies. So it was normal to be remote. We said, why not? So, um, you know, we, uh, we started the process to build the house in uh, like mid 21 and moved down uh, last December and haven't looked back much much slower pace than Atlanta. Still go up there from time to time, but we're loving it here. That's awesome. One question I have, seems like you've, you know, ascended several levels several times and are still doing it. What do you feel like helps you break through bottlenecks when you feel like you're at a ceiling? That's a really good question. Um, I don't want to go back to the patience thing, but I think the patience thing is important from the sense of seeing not seeing just what's immediately in front of you, but seeing the vision beyond, right? So I don't get caught up with, you know, okay, I'm, I'm working on something right now and it's not going to pay me for six months. I'm literally working for free on this project in the hopes that in month seven, it's actually a revenue driver for me, right? And the ability to block that out of your mind, I think is so important and so critical. I, I think about at every phase that I've been at, like, you're starting a business, you're not making money. If you're making money, you're making very little money, right? You're piecing it together, you're duct taping it. So you got to put your ego to the side. Um, yeah, you got to realize that you're, you're uh, abusing your own time, but for a larger vision. So having that, that long-term vision is important and not losing sight of what's in front of you will help you kind of break through those barriers and push to the next level. Um, and then just not being afraid, right? Like we talked earlier about being slow and patient, methodical, but once you're doing it, jumping headfirst into it, um, once I set my mind on something and I feel like it's a very calculated, well thought out decision, I'm all in on it. Um, you know, I, I wake up at you know 4am thinking about it. I can't fall asleep at night cause I'm thinking about it. So I'm a little bit of a, it kind of consumes me in a way. Um, but kind of keep pushing and, and, you know, looking out a hundred yards instead of, you know, three feet in front of you is pretty important. Yeah. I had the same thing where when I get attached to something, I like cannot put it down. Do you have any tips for yeah. falling asleep? 
when that is happening. Because <laughs> uh, no, yeah, that's an area that I'm not going to be able to provide any input on. Uh, I, I struggle with the same thing. The mind is just racing. I, so I think he's got to pull out a notebook and just brainstorm a thing to fall asleep on the page. That usually works for me. That is good. I use my phone, which is terrible because the blue light and you know everyone says don't do it. Um, I've heard the notebook's the right thing. But I'm the guy who will roll over like four times in the middle of the night, like make a note in my phone because otherwise I won't be able to fall back asleep. That's a good uh, point because most of the time it's only, it's like four repeating thoughts in my brain and I just yeah. can't fall asleep. And it's just like going over the same thing. Just, just got to write it out. Somewhere else. Yeah. All right. Or good. it's something really stupid, right? That seems important at two in the morning when you can't sleep. And then at oh, 7 a.m. Yeah. when you're like, all right, I'm going to do that thing. I'm like, wait, I don't even need to do that. Like, that was, yeah, that was a ridiculous idea. Um, but yeah, that helps write it down. I'm looking up the thing that, uh, What's it, what's it called? Oh, the Pensieve. So the, the Harry Potter. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. The Pensieve and Harry Potter. That's just what you got to do. So right. the Dumbledore has that bowl, that basin of yeah. like the swirling silvery things. It's kind of how it's described. Mm-hmm. And and then in the movie, he, you know, pulls them out of his head. It's literally just doing that. It's like, I don't want this in my head. Right. I'm going to put it some like I'm not losing it. I'm not discarding it. I'm just putting it there. It's like stuff. It's like it's like if you had a. This kettlebell, right? I like having this kettlebell, but if I like the yeah. only way I could have this kettlebell was literally like you can't own it unless you're taking it with you everywhere you go. Like, and that's what that's why I got a house. That's why I got an apartment. So I can have exactly. a kettlebell and I have to take it with me everywhere I go. That's right. And I just gotta like extract the stuff and just set it down somewhere. Do you look to my thoughts as well? I've got a big whiteboard right here to my left that you guys can't see. So if I, when I get ideas, I've got it kind of broken out in the quadrants and have my months planned out for things I want to, you know, at least high level accomplish and that kind of helps keep me, uh, you know, on, on path, but you know, it doesn't help with sleeping, but it helps kind of keep me <laughs> forward. So there you go. Well, I think this has been a blast. Um, I've had a good time. Mike, where are you both your website? I don't know if you're super active with a personal brand on social media, but if someone interesting is like, yeah. I'm interesting and Mike's interesting and we should talk because he likes, that's what he said. He likes to meet cool people. Uh, where's the best way for them to find you? Yeah, you can find us, uh, find me at nexuspt.io. And then you can email me at mike at nexuspt.io. And then we've got social handles that uh, don't have a huge uh, traction yet. We're actually working on bolstering that up. But anything nexus point one word, uh, you can find us. So uh, feel free to reach out anytime. Amazing. Thank you so much.